Hello once again, everybody, and thank you for joining me here on this Wednesday, January 27th edition of ATS Radio. I'm your host, Anna Burke. I'll be joined today by Kiev O'Neill from the Odds Breakers. We're going to chat about his early thoughts here for Super Bowl 55 between the Chiefs and the Buccaneers. Take a look at the Duke Blue Devils and why Kiev decided to fade them last night. A very tough beat for Georgia Tech backers in that one. Then take a look at the Big Ten Conference as well. Going to have a little bit of a quick show here today, both of us with some things to do early this afternoon. So going to keep this to around 40 minutes or so with today's podcast. But we've got extensive coverage of all kinds of things over at ATS.io. Plenty of Super Bowl coverage up over there already. NBA, college basketball, NHL coverage. Got a golf preview for you of the Farmers Insurance Open No uh, UFC this week. They'll be back next weekend, but we'll have plenty to talk about as we go throughout the subsequent weeks here on the MMA side of things. And of course, my 2021 MLB betting guide will be released probably the last week of February. That's the target date that I'm shooting for. So doing a lot of work behind the scenes on that. Put together my MLB season win total previews for all 30 teams, plus all of the different futures and props markets that are out there. So a lot of hard work, a lot of writing being done on that. But it is a publication I'm very, very proud of. And I hope to have that out to you here in about four weeks' time or so. Finally, make sure you download the ATS app, which you can find in the Google Play Store or in the Apple Store. Full article integration from ATS.io to go along with a bet tracker, an odd screen, the chance to buy a subscription to the premium analytics-based model that is in there, and just a database full of stats and trends to help you with your personal handicapping. So download that ATS app today. With that, we bring on Kiev O'Neill from the Odds Breakers, my guest for today's show. And Kiev, how's it going today, man? I'm doing well, minus the uh, the beat on Duke, Georgia Tech last night. But uh, uh, overall, three and one, so can't complain. Our members got some good plays. Dayton was a good one, found a fade spot. Um, on St. Louis, St. Louis coming off a COVID pause. That's always something you definitely want to look at. Teams do come out rusty, but man, we have a Super Bowl now and we have some, uh, a lot of excitement around these quarterbacks, don't we? Yeah, we most definitely do. And, and we'll take a look here at side and total and some early thoughts for the Super Bowl, then kind of get your take on how you're starting to organize some of your prop thoughts, because you know I think you agree with the two guests I've already had on the show this week, Kyle Hunter and Brian Blessing, that The props are where it's at for the Super Bowl. Those are your opportunities to make good money on the big game. So we'll talk about kind of your initial thoughts with that. As we wait for prop betting odds to be posted, Thursday, Friday, we'll see a lot of them. And then, of course, a ton of them coming out next week as well. But the starting point here today, Kiev, minus three with extra juice, minus three and a half reduced juice, 56 the total, some 56 and a halfs out there. You know, this number has pretty much settled in and, and we're just not going to see a whole lot of movement on it until next week. Probably not. And every legit handicapper that I've talked to has it about this spread anyway, right around the 3.25 is what I make it, which is three with some juice, you know, three minus 123 minus 125. So really no real value on it. Of course, I mean, it's a Super Bowl. I think you're going to see some movement. I think uh, some books you're going to see some more Brady movement coming in. Some books you're going to see some more Mahomes movement. You know, I think this line is going to close at 3.5 minus 110. I think it will. I'm not 100% sure, but I mean, 
looking at what Mahomes did last game uh, against the Bills. Look at what the Bills couldn't do against the Chiefs is some big things to look at. Um, as far as the total standpoint, it opened at 57. It's now down to 56. It dipped to about 55, 55 and a half ish sells at 56. I think, yeah, you know, one thing you look at the weather, it's uh, Tampa Bay, but it's going to be a little bit breezy there. So just look this morning, it said 16 mile per hour winds always, uh, you know, good for the under if it's uh, a little bit breezy, but 16 is not terrible. Um, it's, it's up there a little bit though. So I'll be, uh, you know, obviously following the weather a lot more, Adam. Yeah, we'll definitely have to keep an eye on that, especially because, you know, at this time of the year, things in the Gulf of Mexico can get a little bit, you know, moist. There can be a lot of precipitation down there. So, you know, hopefully we get good weather for this game. But of course, that will be a consideration as we get a little bit closer here. And yeah, I think three and a half is is a good idea for this number. I wouldn't be surprised to see some fours out there, you know, four even money, four minus 05 especially in some of the more public books where I do think Kansas city, you know, ultimately takes a little bit more of the spread action places. will just be taking a lot of Tampa Bay money line money on that underdog price. Of course, look, I mean, you know, I talked about it yesterday and and we can talk more about the ins and outs, the nuts and bolts of this game next week. But the more I handicap this game, Kiev, the more I just look at Kansas city and I just don't see a way that they fail to win and cover here. I, I just think Kansas city repeats as champions and covers the three, three and a half, four, whatever number they're asked to cover. <laughs> you know, I, I kind of sound like a broken record myself. Keep talking about how Tampa Bay is overrated and they keep winning these games <laughs> over the playoffs here. Um, I'd be wicking to say it's Tom Brady. Tom Brady somehow uh, gets the nod when it comes to playing the games. The officials team to swallow their flags a little bit. And I mean, to Green Bay's detriment, there's a lot of holding penalties that were missed except at the very end of the game. And you can, there's a lot of conspiracy theories out there, but it doesn't matter. It's Tom Brady versus Patrick Mahomes. It's a great narrative for the NFL. You have the old greatest of all time against the future greatest of all time is what they're saying. I pumped the brakes on that a little bit. I'm not ready to put Mahomes as the future greatest of all time yet. Uh, Way too premature in my opinion, but right now, he is the best quarterback in the league for sure. So um, you're going to see some, uh, a lot of action and the prop betting is definitely where it's at Adam, because the fun thing about props, it, it's like telling a story, you know, it, it's like narrating a story that you, you already know your listeners or other people might know it, but you start from the beginning. You know, you can even start with the coin toss. If you like to bet that you can start with the first score of the game you can start with uh, who's going to score the first touchdown of the game. You know, you kind of move into your first half bets, first quarter, first half. You're going to look at some receivers that are going to go over their yards. You're going to look at some receivers and running backs that are going to go under. You're going to try to scheme and plan on how the coaches are going to look at each other. You're going to look at individual matchups that might have some value. You know, maybe there's a, a, an extremely good cornerback that you might want to fade the receiver that's facing him. You know, so uh, that's the fun of it, you know, and uh, and I think uh, the prop betting, there's ways to make money. I heard, overheard you on a podcast. I think you were on one of the same ones as mine last year. Patrick Mahomes to score the first touchdown that opened at 25 to one last year. That was one of our biggest caches. And uh, yeah, I think it closed around 14 to one. That was fantastic. That's the kind of thing we're looking at. You have you take some long shots. You have a lot of fun. You got action throughout the whole game, my man. 
Yeah, absolutely. A good overview there on the props. And, and again, you know, you think about game state, you think about game flow. And when we think back to the first meeting between these two teams, I was on Kansas City. It was one of my losses in the Circa and, you know, one that could have made a significant difference, at least in terms of being right there close to the money toward the end of the year. That was a game Kansas City should have covered. I mean, they were thoroughly dominating that game through three quarters. Tampa Bay scored 14 points in the fourth quarter, wound up losing that game 27-24, covered the three-and-a-half number. But it was one where Patrick Mahomes threw for 462 yards, and he only had about 40 or 50 passing yards over the last quarter and a half of that game. So he had a field day early on. The Chiefs were 0 for 3 in the red zone. That left some points on the field, gave Tampa Bay the opportunity to come back and get in the back door there. So I want to ask you about this, because we had two data points last week where Buffalo and Kansas City played each other once. Kansas City dominated that game. Buffalo was with an injured Josh Allen, didn't have Matt Milano in that one. But Kansas City goes ahead and and pretty much dominates last week's game as well. Tampa Bay Green Bay, we talked a lot about that game last week where Aaron Rodgers had the pick six. Had the pick return to the two-yard line. A couple turnovers really helped Tampa Bay in that NFC Championship game. And, of course, Brady has the three picks in the second half. One of them becomes a touchdown. The other two do not. So we had a lot of things to talk about last week with regards to the first meetings between the two teams. How much stock are you putting in the first meeting here between the Chiefs and the Buccaneers back at the end of November? You should put a good amount of stock into it. Um, just because I think the Chiefs are a superior team, really. Um, Tampa's got great numbers, right? They have great efficiency metrics. Um, Kansas City just has uh, that extra gear when they want to put it down. And also, they can get real lazy. I mean, they got backdoored against Tampa, like you said. They got backdoored against the Saints, too, the same exact way. You know, I mean, they really only had one loss all year. I mean, you can't count that Chargers game, right? I mean, that's how good Kansas City really is. And you saw them as soon as they got down nine to nothing, turn that gear up and cover the first half and the, and obviously the, the second half spread um, on that game last week. So I believe they covered the second half. They definitely covered the full game. So, uh, you know, Kansas city, so much upside right there, but you know, the numbers that what of what Tampa put up and what people say for their strength of schedule, if you crunch those numbers, it doesn't have it. It has Tampa Bay possibly even, better more of like a a a plus three minus 120 on their side or maybe a two and a half you know one thing that i look at is what are we going to give tampa bay for home field advantage i think that's important right i'm only giving them 0.5 for home field advantage due to the fact this is the super bowl and both teams for some reason are much better on the road than they are at home tampa bay at home scores 28.5 points per game. And on the road, they scored 32.5. KC is 28 at home, 31.6 on the road. I mean, the, the advantage just about this season played out is really on Kansas City there. If you look on the defensive side, can't, Tampa Bay gives up more points at home, 23.9 to 21.2 on the road. Figure that one out, man. So uh, maybe it was because of COVID, but either way, for some reason, Tampa Bay is not doing that great at Raymond James Stadium. Uh, you saw Kansas City go in there and uh, and light it up themselves. The question is, are they going to let Tampa back in the game if they do jump Tampa? I don't know, but there's a lot of narratives to go through too as well. Mahomes and his foot and some other things. 
I mean, I think throughout the next two weeks, we're going to get pretty deep at him. Yeah, definitely. We'll be able to talk a lot more about this game here for next week. But like I said, we got to do a little bit of a shorter show here. Both of us had some things to tend to here this afternoon. So let's go ahead and transition over to the college basketball side of things. And we mentioned at the top of the show already, and it's it's never good to pour salt in recent wounds. But last night you faded Duke. And that was a number that closed six, opened five, closed six. There was a stray six and a half out there in the marketplace. Georgia Tech down eight at the break. They lose the game by seven. But it did seem like a lot of people were not only on Georgia Tech, but believed that the Yellow Jackets were the right side in that game. Was it a play on Georgia Tech? Was it a fade of Duke, a combination of both? What was sort of your thought process for that ACC tilt last night? It was a little bit of both. I've watched some Georgia Tech games, and they've played pretty well. They've gotten better. They had a bad start. But, um, you know, if you look at statistic-wise, they're just dominating to what they had compared to Duke. I mean, they have better shooting, better three-point. You know, they had uh, uh, better free throws. They have a better turnover ratio. They have a better assist-to-turnover ratio. Almost every single stat favored Georgia Tech. And then Duke sitting here with a a six-point spread. You know, Duke, in my opinion, is duke in name only this year they play like duck (laughs) if you want to say make any jokes here but duke has just not looked right this year they've only covered two games before this and you can give them the three here but this game was neck and neck with about a minute left trading uh these teams were trading who was leading the game pretty much the whole game and all of a sudden, Georgia Tech just fell flat on their face, turned the ball over a couple times. And then, of course, they have to foul Duke at the end. Then you still think you have a shot when they're down about four with the ball. What do they do? They turn it over again and have to foul. I mean, it, the, the game spun out of control, down six, take a super deep three with like, I think, five seconds left or something like that. Uh, the rest was history. Duke got another foul, missed a free throw, and obviously they hit the next one. So I would bet Georgia Tech 100 times again. I thought it was the right side that just didn't happen to win. And I think it's a really important lesson for everybody. I mean, obviously it's it's a bad beat, and college basketball is kind of notorious for bad beats just because you get the foul fests and, and things like that. But, you know, it, it, okay, fine. It, it's a bottom line business. I get it. You know, you want to see your bankroll grow. You certainly don't want to see your bankroll go down. But you do have to look either after the game or the morning after or something like that and just sit there and ask yourself, would I make that bet again? You know, Duke in that game last night, 22 free throw attempts to five for Georgia Tech. They outscored Georgia Tech at the line by 14 points. And of course, the two late free throws wound up being the difference between a Georgia Tech cover and a Duke cover. But I think that's an important lesson. And I think it's you know something that people need to realize when they're in a funk, when they're in a slump, when they're buying picks from somebody and they're in a slump, something like that. You know, Just sit there and look at that game and say to yourself, would I make that bet again? And a lot of times you want the answer to be yes. And if the answer is no, what did you miss? Find out what it was in that handicap that you didn't properly account for. And it looks like in last night's game, it was just bad luck. You just fell on the wrong side of variance and those things happen. But I think it is important, maybe from a psychological standpoint, but certainly from a growth standpoint as a better and handicapper to look back at the plays that you make and just go through the box score, go through the process and ask yourself, 
Would I make that bet again? If the answer is yes, then I think you've got a pretty solid process overall. Absolutely. Absolutely. See, you got to understand this is just a drop in the ocean of sports betting here. You know, I mean, there's going to be a ton of plays you make. There's going to be some plays you're on the right side of this thing, right? There's some plays that you make are bad that you're going to, the other, you know, someone else who bet the other side is going to get the bad beat and you're going to get the lucky win, good treat, whatever you want to call it, you know, bad beats, good treats. It happens to every sports better out there. So you have to just remember that not to get too down on yourself. I mean, we were fortunate to go three and one yesterday. I really wanted this one because it was the headline of our article. Instead, we went one and one. But at the same time, as long as I know I was on the right side of my thinking and the bet should have went that way, I am more than happy to make this bet again. You know, it's hard to predict that Duke's going to get a lot of free throws and Georgia Tech wasn't. Uh, I think Georgia Tech might have, uh, you know, they're a little bit young in themselves. They jumped the gun. They got a little sloppy at the end. That's fine. Duke plays extremely sloppy. I'm going to continue to fade Duke until uh, they are properly rated on sites like Ken Palm and properly rated in the marketplace. And I think it's also important too, and, and I'm not saying I would play on Georgia Tech here coming up this weekend against Florida State. In fact, I don't really love the spot, and I don't know if it's that great of a matchup for them here coming up on Saturday. But just because something like that happens with a team where they do lose a heartbreaker, you know, they do burn a bet for you, don't just shy away from that team. I think that's a problem that a lot of novice handicappers have is that they get burned by somebody. And it's all that they remember. You know, they don't remember what got them to the point of placing a bet on that team. They just remember that team lost for me, F them, I'm not coming back on them again. That's the wrong way to go about it too. Because that's a game that, I mean, look, it fell very close to the number. They played mostly up to expectation, just fell on the wrong side of variance at the end of the game. And like I said, I'm not advocating a play on Georgia Tech against Florida State on Saturday And like I said, I don't think it's a great spot for the Yellow Jackets. But simply to say that just because a team loses a bet for you, you don't want to just immediately discard them. You still want to handicap their games, you know, with a clear mind, with that same process that you just had. 100%. And uh, more often than not, if you're on the right side of that line, especially if your ratings in your line is correct by being off a few points, in the long run, you're going to win. That's just how it is. Absolutely. That's an excellent point to make there. And uh, with that in mind, let's take a look at the Big Ten Conference here for a few games. Uh, One tonight that I do want to touch on, I know sometimes it's kind of tricky because sometimes it's difficult for our listeners to get to the day of shows, but with a shorter recording here and and also with the fact that, you know, we're going to uh, get this one turned around pretty quickly, maybe this is a good opportunity to talk a little bit about tonight's game in the Big Ten between Wisconsin and Maryland. And you are somebody who follows Wisconsin basketball very, very closely. Three is the number for this game, varying juice across the market. Total pretty much sitting 128 and a half for this matchup. Any thoughts on uh, on tonight's game between Wisconsin and Maryland? You know, I, I do have some thoughts. Wisconsin is not a team I like to back as a favorite. If you look at the history, and I've ran these numbers before, Wisconsin is a losing bet as a favorite. You know, and you've seen this happen a couple times at home. Wisconsin is a great dog team. You know, Wisconsin doesn't have any exceptional athletes, but they have seniors that play that will take offense to being a dog. They know what the spread is. Most of these kids do, especially these days. 
And when they, and they, when they take it personal, they hit shots. When they're a favorite, it's kind of when their talent starts to show. There's no sense of urgency and they're missing shots. So I'll start out by saying that. One thing with Wisconsin is that they are a little bit erratic. Uh, they rely on the three-point ball a little bit too much for Big Ten play. And uh, when they're soft and they're not hitting it, they're losing games. I mean, you saw this happen against Maryland at home. They allowed 70 points to Maryland, and they only scored 64 themselves. This was a loss. So you can look at this as a road revenge spot, which it is. But at the same time, they're also a favorite. You know, it it makes you scratch your head. So Wisconsin, what you can count on is good defense always, right? They're going to play good defense. They rank number three in defense in the Big Ten in conference-only play. They rank number seven in the nation, counting the whole season on Ken Palm, right? You can expect pretty good defense out of Wisconsin. What you uh, can't expect is offense. It's either going to be hot or cold. If they're hot, they're covering it and they're beating anybody. Maybe not Iowa, maybe not Michigan, but mostly anybody. And when they're missing, they're losing to anybody. They'll lose to Penn State if they're missing, you know? So that so that's one thing you have to think about. Um, number two, Maryland is similar but in different ways, Maryland, their offense is average at best, but sometimes their defense really shows up like it did last weekend against Minnesota, shutting Minnesota in the barn down to 49 points. I mean, that was some great defense. They played. They went to Illinois, shut Illinois down to 63 points, but sometimes they're just giving up a ton of points. Like to Indiana, they gave up 63 to Iowa, 89, Michigan, 84, Purdue, 73. You know, Purdue's not a big offensive game. Earlier in the year, they gave up 74 to Rutgers. So what are we going to get out of Maryland from a defensive side? I know I'm not going to get anything overwhelming on offense, but on the defense, it's either going to be good or bad. Obviously, if uh, Maryland's defense does uh, show up today uh, and Wisconsin's offense doesn't, Maryland's going to win this outright as a home dog. 100%. Now from a, a line, I have Wisconsin minus three and a half. So now if it's at three points, if this thing gets down to two and a half, believe it or not, three is a slight key number in basketball. Um, there's reasons why there this is, and there's studies that have been done. It does land on three a little bit more than other numbers, not nearly as much as football. So don't look at it like that, but I would consider a play on Wisconsin. Um, you know, obviously, uh, if, if a team's down one, they foul and that's how you get to your three. Right. So uh, I don't think it's going to get to two and a half, but as far as a, a betting side, I do not like Benton Wisconsin as a favorite. I'm going to probably be passing on this one. To your point. I want to ask you just sort of philosophically here, Maryland three and six in big 10 play. And as you talked about, I mean, they've kind of been all over the map. They've had some good defensive performances. They've had some ghastly defensive performances and offensively, you know, they've been relatively consistent, but again, they've had some really bad uh, offensive performances here in this conference as well. So what do you do with a team that's, that's very high variance like that and just not very trustworthy? I mean, is Maryland a team that you generally shy away from being on or against? I w- I'm more of a fade on Maryland in general, but there's nothing that tells me that there's a home road split or anything on them, like a Minnesota. You know, Minnesota, I'm definitely going to be looking for them at home and looking to fade on the away. 
that's the biggest home road road split type team in the Big Ten. Purdue is a little bit one of them themselves. Maryland's just erratic in general. You know, as a matter of fact, I'm not even sure um, how great of a home team they are. I mean, the only home games they lost was Rutgers when Rutgers was playing good, Michigan and Iowa. I mean, Michigan and Iowa, two top teams in the Big Ten. You know, they they might be able to beat somebody in the Big Ten here. But one thing I de- have noticed, they still haven't beaten anybody at home uh, at, in the Big Ten. Of course, when conference play started, they had a very easy non-conference. So that's probably another reason why I do lean on the Wisconsin side. But at the same time, does Maryland finally say, okay, it's time to win at home? I don't know. And that's another reason why I'm staying away from the game. From the total, I made it at 129. It was at 130 and a half. I think it's down to about 128 and a half. So unfortunately, it's most likely not a play for me. All right, so we move ahead to Thursday night here. And only one game in the Big Ten, but it sounds like you've got some thoughts on it based on what we talked about prior to the show. Michigan State and Rutgers. And recording too early to get the overnights that start kind of leaking in here a little bit. Taking a look at Torvik, he's got Rutgers minus 3.9, so effectively minus 4 for this one. But we do have Michigan State off of a 20-day-long COVID pause. I feel like that's a big part of your handicap here. It is, for sure. I can't – there's no way I'm going to back a team coming off a over 14-day special, especially most of them are COVID-type pause, right? I mean, they come back rusty. Um, they come back. Uh, it, it, there's no upside there. They're, you know, they they rarely would come back better. I, I guess if a team was really struggling, <laughs> and they were actually practicing, they would. But you have to check to see how much practicing there was because in, in the Big Ten they don't allow that. You know, uh, were they practicing by themselves? I don't know. It wasn't commissioned. Probably not. But they, but you can't back a team coming off this, so you only can look towards the Rutgers side. Now, Rutgers finally got off the schneid with a, a Big Ten win against Indiana at Indiana, um, and we were on Rutgers on Sunday when that happened. But uh, it, now, is, is there going to be value on Rutgers? Uh, possibly. It, it depends upon where this number goes. I think the number is going to be more three because people are going to remember when Rutgers was losing and – they got their butts beat by Michigan State by double digits last time they played. But, you know, Michigan State, they're not, they're not that impressive to me. They're a little bit fraudulent themselves. Everybody but Joey Hauser is questionable on this team. I wonder if there's going to be a full team coming for Michigan State. I'm looking, I see Gabe Brown possibly injured here, possibly still having COVID, right? So he's a key rebounder on this team. I'm just uh, you know, wondering who's going to show up. So for me, I don't know if it's going to be at four, but at three points, I would probably lay the minus three with Rutgers being there at home, and they need to some movement here. Rutgers had that bad spell in the Big Ten. Um, I don't know if they've done enough to get to the big dance. They haven't as of yet. So this is a very important uh, game for them. Um, I, I think when Rutgers played Michigan State, they shot 32% from the field. Very bad numbers, 25% from three. I have to think that improves. Um, both of these guys are pretty similar on offense and defense, but Rutgers does shoot the ball a little bit better. Michigan State rebounds a little bit better. Michigan State's better at free throws at 76%. Rutgers is only at 57%. That's why I don't like it at four is the free throws. 
when you're looking at teams that are going to be in foul city at the end, because they're winning by five, six, seven points, Michigan state's going to follow them. These one-on-ones could completely change the position or the possession of the ball. And all of a sudden Michigan state hits a three and they're back in the game. That really worries me. I hate betting favorites with people that can't shoot free throws at them. So, um, you know, one advantage that Rutgers does have, they do turn the ball over less 15% of the time to Michigan state's 19% of the time. So um, we'll see where the market goes, but uh, coming off this 20 day COVID I'm going to play Rutgers in the first half. I think that's much better. And you're probably going to get, um, you know, Rutgers minus two in the first half. And I would possibly play less if I can get the three at, uh, at the end of the game. So double your bet, maybe two stars at the half and one star for the whole game. I have Rutgers winning this game 75 to 70. Well, as we look at the first meeting, the number of the beast for Rutgers on offense, 0.666 points per possession, easily their lowest of the season. As you said, you have to expect a bit of positive regression for that, especially with Michigan State off of that extended COVID pause. But you bring up a good point that, you know, we're talking about a spot where Rutgers is probably anywhere in the minus three to minus five corridor, depending on how much is added to the line because Michigan State hasn't played. And, you know, as Kyle Hunter mentioned on the show on Monday, seeing about a point and a half or so added to the number based on teams coming off of that COVID pause. But Rutgers is 346th in the nation. I think there are only 347 teams playing in free throw percentage, 57.9%. And that is something you have to factor into the equation. When you talk about a low favorite line where fouling could very well come into play at the end of the ball game, it's a very important handicapping factor. So to me, even though Michigan State is off of this COVID pause, does look like a stay-away game to me. And something else here, too, is that you know, when you look at Rutgers and their free-throw percentages as a whole, a couple of 6'11 guys at 38.2 and 45% at the free-throw line. You got Montez Mathis. He's at 48.8%. It is important when you're looking at the full-team free-throw percentage to see where that's coming from. Because in late-game situations – generally speaking, they're going to design inbound plays to put it in the hands of their best free throw shooters. So you may have bigs that are really bad at the free throw line, but you might have guards that are pretty decent to where maybe it kind of eases your concerns a little bit about the full team free throw percentage. As far as Rutgers goes, they're two guys with the most free throw attempts, uh, you know, that will probably get the ball in late game situations, 64% and 72%. So that's not particularly strong. It is important to look at that more as you get into these tighter games later in conference play where games are magnified, stuff like that. Free throws for short favorites or even mid favorites in that six, seven point range, definitely a handicapping factor to keep in mind, to say the least. Yes, it, it definitely. So, you know, even their guards, Ron Harper and Jacob Young, aren't not the best free throw shooters. One thing I will say is that Rutgers has been pretty injured through the stretch where they were losing all those games. Clifford Omayuri was out. He's pretty much their other big guy that helps Miles Johnson. Miles Johnson has been gassed throughout all those games. He is back healthy now, and it looks like Mag is back as well, 6'7", another forward. So they'll be getting some help rebounding the ball, which which whereas they suffered before. So, uh, you know, those are those two injuries aren't always factored into the line coming up, especially from a Ken Palm or a Torvik standpoint, 
these guys could help help out. And that's why Rutgers is, in general, a buy-on team, especially as a dog, not as much as a favorite. All right, so we take a look at a marquee matchup coming up here in the Big Ten on Friday night, Iowa and Illinois. And correct me if I'm wrong, Kiev, but when you had your first appearance on ATS Radio here three weeks ago, you told me that Illinois was, in your mind, the best team in the Big Ten. Now, Michigan on a COVID pause, so they won't be playing for quite some time, probably not until uh, mid-February or so. So Illinois is going to keep going here. Iowa, of course, great offense, shaky defense. Should be a great game here on Friday night in Champaign. You know what's funny about the Big Ten is that you have 11 teams here that are just beating the living crap out of each other. You know, the parity is high. The matchups are just amazing. great basketball to watch, but they're just cannibalizing each other, especially when a team reaches the top. They're, they're all gunning for that team. And it switches, man. It, in my, my mind, Illinois was the best team, but I was wrong. Illinois is not the best team. At least right now, they're not the best team. One thing I missed on Illinois, and this is important because you have to admit your misses here if you want to improve as a handicapper, they are terrible in the forward position really terrible i mean you have your guards at illinois and then you have cockburn right at center georgie benzamishvili has been god awful this year and he's seemed to get worse from three years ago i don't know what's wrong with the guy but they have problems rebounding except for cockburn he'll get all the rebounds but if he gets in foul trouble this team is in a lot of trouble and they're relying on their guards like Dosunmu and Frazier to be shooting threes, you know? So that's something I noticed here. And when they're facing a team like Iowa, that's taller, their guards are taller. They get down low. They have that motion speed offense. Iowa's going to have a ball movement advantage over them, especially if Coughburn gets gassed. I mean, both these teams do play at a high pace, but um, Iowa does it better in my opinion. I mean, you're going to have speed, speed, speed. We're looking at here about a pick in Illinois with a total of about 165 points. Now, maybe this total gets knocked down a little bit, but I actually made the game 85 to 83, Iowa winning because of their forwards. You know, they have better play down low, minus Cockburn, and I think the most exciting matchup you're going to see is Luca Garza facing Coffee Cup. Cockburn. Cockburn knows of all the hype that Garza's has gotten and he's going to show up and play. The question is, is, is either one of these guys going to get in foul trouble and uh, you know, who's going to be hitting the three pointers. I'm excited to watch this game, but um, right now I have a strong lean to betting Iowa just because of how they move the ball and how well they are down low. 85 to 82 is what I have Iowa. So I guess my follow-up question here would be, you know, when you got a team as offensively gifted as Iowa, and a team that, frankly, needs to outscore the opposition to win. I mean, they're not going to shut many opposing teams down. It's just not the style of basketball that they play. And, frankly, as their free throw percentage against regresses, they're going to give up even more points. They're 19th in the country, 64.8% against at the free throw line. And we know free throw defense. It's kind of a cheeky term that we use here on the show. That should improve for the opposition. So Iowa is going to continue to give up quite a bit of points here as this season goes along and also give up more points at the free throw line that could define some of those close games with that all being said Iowa an offense first team 
Do you worry at all about them when they go on the road and don't have, you know, that familiar shooting backdrop, that familiar venue? A little bit, but if you look at what they've done on the road, I mean, they beat Maryland by 22 points. They, of course, Northwestern, you probably shouldn't even count them in the Big Ten, but that was a, a easy 26-point victory. 1.343 points per possession on the road for Iowa in that game. Yeah, yeah, that that's insane. And their offensive uh, rating, efficiency rating, is the highest in the league. Them and Gonzaga have kind of been trading off all year. But, I mean, right now, Iowa's proven that they can score on the road. I think their defense is what hasn't been showing up on the road, and that's something I've been a little bit more worried about. They went to Minnesota and went to that overtime game, and they ended up losing the game. But, you know, Minnesota is a great home team. They did go on a neutral court against Gonzaga, but, hey, they scored 88 against Gonzaga. So as far as the road, I'm still a little bit more worried about their defense um, than their offense. Their recent loss here against Indiana, the stinker was at home. So, yeah, yeah, it's it's possible. But Iowa's just so well buttoned up, and they move the ball so well. I'm not as worried. If you look at their assist-to-turnover ratio, 2.1. That is huge compared to Illinois. Illinois is at 1.3, which is really not that bad. It's just that Iowa's 2.1 at Towers because they don't turn the ball over. Illinois is a little bit more sloppy with the ball than Iowa is. So I'm definitely uh, favoring Iowa in this matchup. But good points about the backdrop. Um, if, if Iowa does have a, a bad shooting game, very good chance they could lose. Well, a lot of good thoughts here in short order on a little bit of a shorter edition here of ATS Radio, but we still covered a lot of ground here with Kiev O'Neill from the Odds Breakers. And tell us what's happening over at the website right now, man. Well, we are cranking out articles here and cranking out free picks, and we're hoping to uh, have some good prop bets coming up for the Super Bowl. Props are just starting to come out. I look forward to talking to Adam about that. As a matter of fact, Adam's coming on the show tomorrow, and we're not going to get into props but we're going to talk about some narratives and some other things uh for this huge game coming up i think the prop show is probably going to be next week but uh, we're going to hopefully pump out as many articles as possible over at the icebreakers for you guys to hopefully beat the books what a shout out as well to chris farley i know he listens to my show and you know he reached out to you he's been doing some writing for you and doing an excellent job with that so i just wanted to Name drop him on the program here today, a new writer over there at theoddsbreakers.com. And make sure you follow Kiev on Twitter at the Oddsbreakers. And your personal one is at OB Kiev, correct? That's correct. At OB Kiev. I don't use that as much as at the Oddsbreakers, but uh, you can check us out on both. And if you have any questions or want us to break down a game, feel free to tweet at us. Obviously, Chris is also doing a great job over there, just like you mentioned. So thank you for that, Adam. Absolutely, man. Kev, always a pleasure to chat with you, buddy. Thank you so much for joining me. We'll do a lot of stuff on the Super Bowl and the props next week on ATS Radio, and I'm very much looking forward to that. But thanks for joining me today, man, and we'll talk to you again next week. Have a great day, Adam. There you go. There's Kev O'Neill once again from the Odds Breakers at the Odds Breakers on Twitter at OB Kiev. And as he said, I'll be joining his show, recording that tomorrow afternoon, uh, probably getting out late Thursday night or early Friday. Coming up on our next edition of ATS Radio, we'll be joined on Thursday by professional better and handicapper Brad Powers from bradpowersports.com. We'll get his thoughts on the side in total, some early prop betting stuff for the Super Bowl, then also take a look at college basketball with him. And as he mentioned on Twitter, at Brad Powers in the number seven, Coastal Carolina beginning spring practice tomorrow for college football. 
So uh, college football timeline never really stops. I thought that was an interesting point from him uh, out there on social media. But that'll do it for me. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. And I will talk to you again tomorrow.